0: We were in negotiations for investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amalsh. Take two, we have a fantastic guest with us today. Nick, I'm so excited to have you back. We did this before, and the recording didn't work. So, guess what? We're going to do it again, and it's going to be even better than we ha- did before. So you've been in the business, what, 12 years, I think. Started out in fixing, flipping. Then you got into commercial and value-add multifamily. And now you still do that, but you're also doing a lot of new developments. And your passion is to improve neighborhoods by working with the cities, uh, working with the governments. And you got a little portfolio. We're going to hear lots about that. Um, Man, welcome back to
1: the show. Well, thanks for having me again for a second time. And uh, (laughs) yes, we can certainly... Hown it in this time and and hopefully the audio keeps up. No,
0: totally yeah. going going at it again a second time just makes it even better, but you had a fantastic first go at it. So, I'm excited to dig into what the conversation was on that one. But before we get into that because it really was about the building relationships with cities and governments and and how important that is as an investor. Um, I loved that conversation, Nick. So we're going to get back there, but before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into it? So fixing and flipping is all I got. So give me the story, man. How did you get into real estate?
1: Yeah. So I mean, winding it all back, you know, I was before I went to college, I was cutting a lot of lawns, uh, saved up a bunch of money, paid for my college in cash with the um, with the the savings, I guess, from from high school, and then. I ended up going through college in three years instead of four and took that fourth year of savings and put that towards a property. And, um, so I guess in my junior year of college, I was renting out one house to other college students and then two and then five, and then got into some commercial, um, uh, smaller commercial stuff, um, then some mixed use. And then we did a small five unit multifamily building. And I think that was when the light bulb moment came for me. It was like, oh, this is one roof. This is one location, I only have, you know it's much easier to manage, and at the time we had you know probably done fifty to seventy five deals, and it's just this constant deal flow, and you know there's some fun to that, but uh, the the management of it is really just something that was difficult. So we kind of made a pivot, ended up selling out of all of the smaller properties, uh, really closed up all that um, you know that that looser ends of the the company. Now we're in just larger multifamily and ground up development properties, and that has you know, organically kind of happened over a twelve year period
0: so you're looking at twelve years so you're you're hitting the market like kind of at the exact right time right that was pretty much at the bottom right
1: yeah I mean people thought we were crazy for buying and you know there was so much go to go around I mean it was calling local lenders and saying you know what what do you want to get off your you know your balance sheet uh, they were you know, really eager to just move product that was just sitting. Uh, I, there was just so many foreclosures. Uh, there was, uh, you know, sellers who were in in desperate conditions, and we pretty much just went in and and did a heavy value add. Uh, you know, that that's before I knew any like the the lingo, or you know, it was just it was just doing it was just making it better. And when we did projects where we were uh, looking to go into the project and hold it and rent it, that's always where we did the best. Anytime that we tried to do really fast fix and flips, um, you know that was that was where we would potentially get in trouble, uh, or where the profit margin was was gone or even eroded completely. And then, you know, kind of going into the future, it, it, we just have taken that just to a larger scale.
0: So this is where I think we could benefit the listener. What you're talking about right now, because you you have no problem. Just picking up the phone and calling someone and seeing if there's a, a way to work together or how you could benefit them or vice versa. No problem 100%. picking up that phone and calling people. A lot of people do have trouble with that, Nick. It's scary. So how, what, how do you, what makes you different than everybody else? What makes you comfortable picking up that phone and making that phone call?
1: Nothing. I have the same insecurities as anybody who hasn't done it. Uh, you know, frankly, I've put myself into some positions where I've probably, you know, gotten ahead of my skis a little bit and said, I'm just going to figure out a way to make it happen. And I had no choice but to pick up the phone uh, and figure it out. And we did. And, um, uh, I think that served me well, because at, at this point, you know, I hear no, and it's like, okay, well, well have you thought about it this way and you know, we'll modify the deal or just move on to the next group. And it's, it's no big deal. Like, no, is it's not personal. They're not telling you personally. No. Uh, although it, it feels like, it feels like that in the beginning when you're kind of really getting started, but, uh, really, it's just, it's based on the deal. And if the deal works for them, and a lot of times, it's just timing, you know, people are busy with other things, or they're taking down another deal, and they're just focused on different, different aspects, and, and the timing doesn't align for them. So, you know, taking that personally is certainly not going to help you. And then if you just stick with it, somebody else is actually in acquisition mode, and, and they're ready to, to do the deal, and they're happy you're calling. So uh, that's
0: all, you know, true.
1: It, you just kind of have to, just kind of have to do it. I think that when people are getting started, you have to hold yourself for you know accountable. I think it, maybe it's setting a list of how many people you're going to contact, um, how many people you're going to email or whatever, and just stick to it on a daily basis. If if it's um, you know trying to trying to raise capital or start a new deal, and don't forget about doing stuff in person because a lot of that um, is kind of lost in today's world, but that that human interaction it really does go a long way if you can go look at a banker uh, in the eye and a new investor in the eye uh, and really show them that you're you're gonna do the right thing uh, and and see the investment through whether it goes extremely smooth or has its um, you know has its troubles
0: yeah so you I want to get into the 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 passion that you have for real estate at the beginning and I know you said you really the light bulb went off when you bought that first multifamily, but you were we have a lot in common. We were both buying properties while we were in college. Not many people can say that. So what, like dig a little deeper here, Nick, what made you want to even buy a piece of property in college? Like, did you read a book? Was there some mentor or some advice you got? Like, wh- why why would you even do that?
1: Well, that goes back to like the lawn cutting guys. I knew that working hard and saving money would result in a, in something that I would, it would, would want and essentially i wanted the the security of of having um uh, you know made a decent amount of money and i knew that i wanted to start my own business and work for myself so the i think the piece that kind of made me get into real estate was reading rich dad poor dad and knowing that i i really like more of the uh the tangible type of assets where i can see it and actually you know work on it and make it better so um uh, rich dad poor dad like so many others it, it definitely took me in a new direction. I think I read it in one, one day and I I was kind of hooked. I was like, I'm definitely going to buy a rental and then, you know, kind of explored doing other stuff in the beginning, but then really just turned it into my full-time, full-time thing.
0: So you bought it. And so you were house hacking before house hacking was even a a term. It sounds like,
1: yeah, I was just looking for a good deal. I was always picking up, I was reading as many books as I could. I was trying to go to any conferences that I could, um, but I was trying to also extend the network and find people who were, you know, find real estate agents who were investing themselves and understood what I was looking for. I had to go through several people before I was able to find somebody who was able to find my first investment. And that was a much easier process. And they also brought along some contacts at some banks. And, and, and that just, it really uh, snowballs when you get the right people in the room.
0: All right. That's awesome. So you found your very first deal with a real estate agent. Just interviewing a bunch of them, you find in ones that are investor friendly, own rental properties, can give you the appropriate advice, brought yeah. you the lenders. Um, do you do you happen to remember the numbers on that very first investment that you bought?
1: Yeah. Well, so the before I was, so I'm trying to find an agent. I don't have a car. I'm just a college. I borrowed my friend's truck. And then the, awesome. the other time I was biking, I biked to the realtor's <laughs> office. I put it behind the building. I didn't want anybody to see it. I walk up and I had my suit on and everything. And then, uh, went in and, and had an interview and, and, you know, it, I didn't realize the agents were probably trying to sell me more than I was you know, trying to, I'm trying to sell them on working with me. And it was definitely the other way around, but I had to go through a couple different people. Cause the first person who took me to a property was like, when you pay this off in 30 years, you'll be able to start making money. I was like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I want to make money day one. Yeah. Uh, and so eventually I found the right realtor after going through a few. And he took me to a to a property that was about $35,000 purchase price. It needed a ton of work. So we put about 35 something into it. And it was a college rental. It was a small house. Um, and so I think our all-in investment was about 75000 and then we ended up selling it for 110,000 but we also were able to sell off a piece of land next door uh, that came with it uh, for as much money as we ended up putting down into the property so we were able to go buy a second one Um, and those obviously are not as available today as they once were but there is still deals out there like anybody who says they can't go find you know a, a uh, a family member who might've passed away or, you know, somebody in the neighborhoods just t- trying to do an owner uh, transaction. There's still a lot of different ways to structure smaller deals, especially like houses. Uh, and there's always a way to get, get one of those done, I think.
0: So when you bought that first house and you had this extra lot, did you know you had that lot and that you were going to no. subdivide that off or
1: no? So this is my first go around with governments is, I, it was, I I knew that there was space there and it looked like it should be a lot, but they had just kind of made it all one. I guess somebody had just at one point made the, a lot line consolidation and made one larger lot. I went back to go subdivide it. And that was my first interaction with, you know, local governments and they can basically on, uh, you know, on relationships in a lot of ways that they trust that you're going to do the right thing and do the right thing for the cities. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll work with you to make it go faster. And I think that was a good lesson to learn. And then I've carried that forward. Uh, you know, now we've done like a 14 story building uh, in downtown Salisbury, where we worked really closely with the local government to do uh, tax credit programs that we actually had to go all the way up to the state of Maryland to get passed by the Senate and the House yeah. and then signed up by the government to being brought down to back to the local level. But it, it phases in our property taxes over a 20 year period. Uh, that would that was the only way that that project was going to get off the ground. That's actually where I'm sitting right now, is checking on the, on that building. Um, and so basically the local governments want to see progress in their areas typically. And if you're able to give them a pathway to doing that, uh, a lot of times they're going to greet you with open arms. And it was, a, it was just a really good lesson to apply early on. And then on a much larger scale down the road. Yeah. So your first development
0: experience was se- basically separating a lot and just selling it. So you didn't go vertical. You did not build anything on it. No, when was the, f- how did you get into the, the development? Cause that's very different than value add.
1: Those are two, those are two it, different games, right? Absolutely. Doing ground up construction is a whole nother game. You need to have professional management. I would highly recommend if doing it with somebody who's done it before. If you haven't done one yourself. Maybe even do two or three, so you can just kind of see the, uh, the the pains that can come with with new construction. And you also need to have a much higher return threshold. I think for us going forward with new developments, there there needs to be a much higher um, you know contingency account, and we're just really rigid with that because we know that unknowns happen. Inflation is a good example. Uh, you know, COVID is a good example. Those things are you know kind of those unknowns that hit development particularly hard because you don't have any revenue until the buildings are open. So with with ground up development, starting with like a house or something, uh, you know, we were we did, I don't know how many ground up, probably 15 to 20 ground up development houses uh, along the way. Some were even custom homes for people as like a side revenue piece, but that was all distractions. You know, and I, if I could go back, I really wish I had probably stuck with, you know, value add of one asset type Uh, probably gone to, uh, the Southern markets a little faster or larger markets, a little faster. And I I definitely would have waited to do some of the the ground up development, but I guess it's helped, you know, in our larger, you know, 14 story stuff.
0: So that 14 you're in it right now, you're sitting right in the 14 story building right now.
1: I am, I am in the 14 story building. It's, uh, you know, it, it's called the Ross building. It, It completed here in 2023. We're moving. Uh, it's a student housing project, 354 beds, uh, 101 apartments. It's actually two different buildings. One's a seven-story building. One's a 14-story building, and um, located right here on Main Street in downtown Salisbury. It's, it's a pretty neat project that uh, you know has 20 20 years of tax credits built into it. Uh, we also helped pass some legislation locally called the Here's Home legislation, which helped refund our building permit costs. That was a uh, you know several hundred thousand dollars of savings to the project. All those things just adding up to helping uh, you know projects in in a tertiary market you know get off the ground and and that's where working with the local governments can really be you know a, a secret sauce, if you will. Uh, and the local governments could be your local small city or you could go do it in a big way in, in you know major cities. and some some of the biggest and you know baddest players in the industry do exactly that you know with the with the biggest cities across the country.
0: So, this is so impressive. Honestly, you've done such a great job. I'm trying to understand how you go from single family to multifamily to value add, now to new construction. So, let's start with the new construction because that's where your passion really is now. How did how do you how did you make that transition? I know a lot of listeners want to do that. So, how do you make that transition?
1: Okay, so you know, I think the first thing to do. Is is probably you need to talk to a general contractor and to an architect, it, it, like in the most practical sense of the way. You, like even before you find a project, this is first yeah, thing. Like right now, to, wait, you listen exactly. to this episode,
0: go pick up the phone, call them right now,
1: say, "Hey, this is what I want to do," you know, and how could you help me achieve that? I think they're going to give you way more information about the local regulations, the local process, than me sitting here, you know, in, in not knowing the the city or uh, county that you're trying to build in, but they're going to know all the little nuances of whether or not you're building on a septic or you're connecting to the local, se- you know, like actual sewer connection. They're going to know about the power company and they're going to know the zoning rights and the setbacks and all the little nuances that go with development. And they'll hopefully be able to shortcut the the time to starting. Following that up more on the financing side, you're going to want to create budgets that have at least a 10. If it's your first project, you might even want to go like 15 to 20% contingencies because you're going to miss a lot. And then you're probably going to want to have a plan and cost review, at like just to make sure that's like you're not missing something. Uh, because I remember when I did my first budgets, I was like, yeah, I, I, I know everything. You don't, <laughs> you know, like it's best to have an industry expert. I guess all of this sums it up to it's the people you're working with. You know, it, do you have a quality architect who knows the local area? Do you have a quality settlement attorney who's going to make sure that your, your uh, you know, your project is zoned correctly? And uh, do you have a good builder who's going to know the local suppliers and the local contractors to get you competitive pricing? And then of course, a, a local bank is probably the best way to do a ground up deal. Uh, they're going to give you way more flexibility than like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo or m They're going to, want to see their community move forward. And I think that's exactly where the community bank fits the best and, or, uh, you know, kind of like a a hard lender. If you go the, the hard money route, which is obviously a very effective tool, you just want to make sure that you are, are very comfortable with your timelines because that's where you can erode all of your profit rapidly. If you think you're going to be done in three months and it actually takes you a year, well, you just pretty much worked to give that hard money lender their profit. And I'm sure they're happy about it, but you're going to end up with very little on the other side. And I would say the best way to get into new development is to not have to sell it on the other side. It's to have the idea that you can rent it, refinance it, um, and or sell it. Any of those options need to be, like all three of those boxes need to be feasible. uh, So that way you're kind of protecting your downside.
0: So custom expensive million dollar homes, probably not a good idea.
1: No, you're no, not your first one. I, I mean, in my opinion, I that's that's more for an expert. If you think that you're gonna do it better than somebody who's doing it for twenty years on your first house, it, I, I think people are um, either willing to accept more risk than I would, or they're just not even. I think that there's there's experts who are in those fields and they do a very good job. I would go partner with them or hire them uh, rather than trying to. You know, pretend that it's going to be super, super easy, and just kind of, you know, if if that's the desire to go build custom million dollar homes, do it. it just maybe take a a baby step first with, uh, you know, more of a more of a rental level house, and get to know, you know, get to know the industry a little bit.
0: Yeah, we have quite a few clients, Nick, that do those custom homes, and and we're seeing profits of three, four, five hundred thousand dollars per door, and and it's pretty impressive. Sometimes even more. Um, if you can really hit it. But you're right. I I totally agree. And I love how candid you you were just like, no, don't do it. (laughs) Because it's a little risky, because you don't have multiple exits. You really are stuck with selling it or selling it. So your plan B is to drop the price, right? Your advice here is to create a situation where you have multiple ways out, so you don't lose your ass if you get into trouble. So let me ask you this. The 14 unit building you're sitting in right now, what's your plan? Are you going to hold that one or what's the exit here?
1: Yeah, it'll probably be like a 10 year hold for our investors. Um, And then it might be a situation where some of the investors want to stay in or some want to get out. Uh, But we don't, we typically don't want to put ourselves under any type of pressure to have to sell. I mean, if the opportunity comes along and somebody wants to offer us a crazy amount of money or if the school wants, you know, the SU Foundation or something wanted to come along and and buy it you know maybe there's a, a chance that we would sell it faster but we're not putting ourselves under that timeline and i think that you know in the custom home building world especially the spec home building world that's to me a transaction uh, that's a job and it's a Sorry. good business that's not real estate investing necessarily we're kind of in, in my opinion we're kind of conflating the two because investing to me is long-term cash flow tax uh, you know, it, it has better tax haven than doing a quick transaction. Go out and make the money doing custom home building. That's great. But real estate investing is long-term, uh, you know, owning cash flow, you know, that is is basically creating longer term, uh, is creating longer term wealth, essentially.
0: It sounds like you learned that from that little purple book that you read.
1: Uh, and probably the the school of hard knocks as well. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> uh, there's some really nice, we've done some nice homes. I mean, not not multi million dollar homes. We've done some nice homes that, you know, if if I hadn't have sold them, and we were to sell them like during this inflation period, we would have made so much more money. But we right. were so desperate to just get onto the next deal, we ended up you know doing a lot of that work for, you know, probably less money than I could have made just you know going and getting the somewhere.
0: Yeah, we see that all the time. Um, but, you know, you you feel the pressure when you're in a project, right? You want to get that money back out, especially if you have investors in the deal with you. Uh, you might be getting pressure from them. So I want to get into that. How do you, how do you finance your projects? This 14 story sounds like that might even be a legacy deal for you. I don't know, but it sounds like a pretty big, impressive deal. So if it's someone kind of getting started and it's a much smaller project, how how did you get started with your financing?
1: Friends and family and local banks are a great way to start. Ideally, the first couple could be really, really small. Don't go and raise, like I I see some people who wanna go raise like a couple million dollars on their first deal. That's a lot of pressure. And and you might not even like real estate after the next six months after going through it. Uh, But I would recommend maybe your cash or maybe you and a partner just doing a a regular, very simple structured deal early on. but then, rapidly as you get like further into the deals uh, and do more deals, I would I would highly recommend you start learning more about structuring commercial real estate transactions where you have limited partnerships and you have your general partners uh, and there's two completely different uh, roles with that. So a limited partner is not going to be on the loan; they're just going to be a simple investor. You're going to protect those folks; they they aren't on any liabilities, and that's where like you could start by taking you know, grandma's investment or your parents' investment or a best friend who's willing to put some money in along. You can put them into a limited partner role. And then you as the general partner can earn uh, a fee for doing the deal. you should get an acquisition fee or some kind of, uh, you know, construction management fee. I mean, you've got to show up and do the work and you should be compensated for it. Uh, and for doing all the bookkeeping and asset management and everything else that comes along with it. And if those fees, frankly, aren't able to you know get into the deal without it um, uh, w- without, you know, putting a downward pressure on the the returns, you probably shouldn't do that deal. There should be enough money for all the professionals to get paid. Uh, but basically what I'm saying is early on, you can do some simple, uh, very, you know, like 50, 50 splits or 51, 49 splits, or, you know, however you want to structure a real estate deal, but there's definitely better ways to do it as you start to scale. Uh, and, and I think that was something I wish I had learned a little bit more about but you know simply just going to youtube nowadays where you you know learn how to structure commercial real estate deals and if you look into like uh, breaking into cre um uh, you know he, he's got like a, an academy on just how to structure real estate transactions i think i've probably watched all of his um you know youtube videos early on when i was just trying to figure out how to do a waterfall model with promote structures and and if all of this is foreign to you and ir returns and equity multiples it's all available. It's, it's probably something I can't relay to you in five minutes, you know, on a podcast, but I would highly recommend taking the time and getting a better understanding because it, we are real estate investors, but we use finance and the finance aspect of it. I'm not talking about financing. I'm not talking about getting money from a bank, but I'm talking about like finance class. Like, you know, what is an IRR calculation? What is an equity multiple and how does that work? And we really, uh I think we we need to spend a little bit more time understanding that, especially if you're going to go out on your own without having been in the industry before. And I know I'm kind of going on a little bit here, but if you're really early on in your career, maybe even still in college, one of the things that I wish I'd probably done was I wish I had gone and probably worked for a private equity shop, private equity real estate shop, or a ground up development shop right out of college, at least for two to three years. I would have gotten so many reps and gotten to see so many deals that weren't mine with any of my money involved or my family's money involved or anything, and I would have gotten to learn how to go about, you know, structuring deals and and uh, raising capital and all those things really early on uh, without having to do it the hard way. I, I guess I'm a little hard-headed. I've always wanted to work for myself, so I I did it the more organic, natural way, but. Uh, you know, it, there's definitely different paths to getting to where you want to go. And and it's all about just putting one foot in front of the next.
0: The real estate educators podcast is brought to you by pine financial group. Pine financial group is a private lender specializing in value, add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right, you can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. Yeah, that, that's, Nick, is one of the things I wrote down in my notes from our first session. I wanted to make sure we hit on So you hit on it twice in both calls. So this is important to you. So just to reiterate, he's saying, go out and work for somebody else and get an education that way. That's a way cheaper way to do it than, one, making mistakes, or two, just forking out a ton of money for mentorships and, and college and all these other things. So I love the advice. Um, so I'm, I'm taking a ton of notes. Like I, like I did the first go. Um, so appreciate that. Now I want to talk about this deal that you're sitting in right now. So I, I understand kind of starting slow and kind of learning. How did you fund or how did you finance or structure that deal?
1: Well, this particular deal, it definitely has limited partners and, um, you know, general partners in a deal that in, in this particular case is tens and tens of millions of dollars. You have to have a loan guarantee people as well. So you need to have people who typically have a net worth greater than or equal to the value of the property and, and have substantial liquidity. And early on in careers, you're probably not going to have that. So you're going to need to start building relationships with folks who are willing to sign on your loans. And typically, they're going to want a decent amount for it. There's There is risk involved with signing on loans. And when everything's going really great, you know, it's like, why am I paying all these, you know, fees to these people? It's because when things don't go well, that's, that's the phone call you don't want to have to, to make, but they're there to back it up uh, when things get tough, Uh, like in an interest rate environment, like today, like I'm sure a lot of loan guarantee folks out there are having to have some tough conversations to get through things. And they're, they're earning those fees that they've been paid along the way. Uh, But The way we structured this was basically through a syndication and then through one larger family office. And um, that was well over $10 million in equity raised and the remaining amount through a senior loan and then actually through a CPACE loan on top of that. Uh, And we had started this project at the start of COVID and then we actually paused it for a year because we just didn't know what was happening. All that um, kind of, you know, I guess the analogy was you just don't press the accelerator when there's fog ahead. Uh, And we saw Pennsylvania make construction, non-essential workers. And we were worried that was going to happen to us in in Maryland. And so basically we decided to just pause the project, waited for a year and then picked it back up the year after. So trying to get a student housing ground up development in a tertiary market during COVID has got to be one of the hardest challenges I've had. And that's probably why I'm so good at cold calling now, because I had over a thousand people tell me, no, I don't want to do that deal and you just get better at it day after day. And we I just, I felt a commitment to getting it done. Uh, and then at the same time, I also laid the cards out on the table with the local government. I was like, look, guys, we've started this project. In fact, we've torn down three buildings on Main Street to make way for this new project, paused it because of COVID. And we're not going to be the only ones that are going to have trouble on the other side of this trying to get projects started again. Let's talk about doing a tax credit program to really boost up the local downtown economy that we all want to see it get developed. Let's put together a tax program where the city waives um, the the increased taxes over a 20 year period uh, and they'll, they'll slowly get phased in, you know, the property tax will slowly get higher over the 20 year period, but that allows investors to come in who are taking the risk for development to get some of their cash back quicker and help those returns in a, in a market that typically wouldn't see this type of a type of development. So it was. I think it was just a, we got to find a way forward and, um, you know, just trying to think outside of the box that really taught me to work with local governments, uh, but also to have uh, on the financing side, when you're, when you're working on capital, because a lot of folks are going to have probably similar experiences when you're raising cash. It's some people get really good at like raising cash from large uh, groups like family offices or, uh private equity groups or you know really big groups where they are maybe taking down a hundred million dollar checks I've even met folks like that um and that's like more of an insurance company or something but then it's nice to also have the smaller investors as well I think the blend of both is the best because sometimes the bigger investors want to pause and the smaller investors can make up the difference and sometimes the bigger investors just want to give you terms that don't work and it's better to right. work with with the smaller investors. so I guess I try to stay agnostic and try to work with everybody and try to build that relationship. And it's something that we're going to get better at as time goes on. But it, it, it is a challenge that I think everybody, everybody faces.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I, so in our company, we raise private capital as well. And we're on the debt side. So super safe, super secure, super stable, but not the big upside like we would see in an investment with you. Um, what I found is that the individual investors, no problem. They want that. It's the the bigger institutional family office insurance companies. They're, they haven't been interested. I've had a real tough time bringing in that capital. One, because they want too much money, or two, they want control. Is that what you've seen?
1: 100%. The control aspect is the most telling part of that. Typically, a family office, especially in a climate where there's uncertainty, is not going to want to just say, Here's a five million. Here's a ten million. Here's a twenty million dollar check. Right. Let me know how it go, You know. Let me know how it's going.
0: I mean, it makes they sense. Typically- but it makes it hard for us. Like we need control.
1: <laughs> exactly, and, and I think that's where it's like a nice blend is. It's probably the best. If uh, you know, I think that we will turn this around. Especially the, the family offices, are a lot of them are sitting on the sidelines, just kind of. Right. Uh, anticipating maybe a downturn or just wanting to keep a little bit more like some liquidity a lot of times these family offices have other businesses that they're supporting whether it be construction or auto dealerships or you know i've they've i've heard all sorts of different uh you know folks who have these family offices but um yeah i guess i i wouldn't ignore the smaller you know smaller investors it is sometimes a little bit more difficult as far as regulations are concerned that's a whole other thing. People yeah, really, true. really need to spend some time before raising capital, understanding what they are and are not allowed to do through the Securities Exchange Commission. Take a look at you know the the different regulations. Uh, maybe even uh, hire an attorney. Definitely hire an attorney before taking the money, but hire an attorney early on to give you some uh, some advice. But yeah, I would definitely agree. The control aspect is something that you're going to fight, especially in your early on deals.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that we've had the same experience. And our, since ours is dead, I thought it may be a little bit different than you because you're all, it's all equity, right? They're coming in as an LP or some kind of, they're taking a piece of the deal. They're hoping for so the typically,
1: Yeah. I mean, it's typically, you know, I think in, as we've gotten bigger and that's, that's happening more and more where we have true LP partners where, you know, where we're able to really operate it the way we, the way we want, but. You know, I think we're also trying to get our systems in place where we're informing all of our LPs as much as possible. Some, you know, some of the syndication deals it might be a little overkill for, you know, um, for like a biweekly update. But for the, some of the larger checks, I, we we are trying to build out systems where those larger checks are able to check in a little bit easier by just a regular uh, routine update. That way, they, they have a better idea as we're going through the deal.
0: That's awesome. All right, let's get off the money and get into the politics because this is where I had so much fun the last time. So you've done some really cool things, and you're just talking about the building you're sitting in right now. You went to the city and said, hey, we're not going to build this basically because we yep. can't afford it. Every, the environment's changed. Now we have yep. a vacant lot on Main Street. So help me help the city by doing some tax credits. You approach them about that. That's That's amazing. So in Colorado, I did a development where we needed some tax help as well. In Colorado, we have what they call metro districts. Are you, have you heard of these? Are you familiar?
1: Uh, not probably not as familiar as you. I I have heard of them. You've heard of them. them. The nuances. Okay. Yeah.
0: So quickly, it's a we've it's a quasi government entity that we control that is able to tax the homeowners so that we could uh, do public improvements. So think about your sewers, your water, your streets, your landscaping, all of those improvements. Um, But the way it works is that you issue bonds, you get a chunk of money, and then you reimburse the developer because all of that has to be in before you build houses anyway. So without that incentive to tax the public to reimburse us for the improvements, a project would never happen. So tax, getting tax help is sometimes essential to development success. Success. Did I say, what did I say? Success. (laughs) Uh, so you went, you went and created this on your own. Um, like, how'd you come up with that idea? And again, what gave you the, uh, what gave you the, the, the confidence to go out and do that?
1: So I've actually had this moment a couple times in my career where you're hitting a brick wall and I was going through the numbers over and over and over and over again. I'm sitting in the middle of COVID. I, you know, I feel the pressure of trying to get something done because it's, you know we actually had a historic front facade of this building maintained so there's this massive scaffolding holding it up on main street no building behind it and we have over five million dollars invested into this project already at that point you know it was just like this a huge burden and i'm just going over then i was trying to figure out how we can get this thing to work and literally kept coming back to the tax bill because i it's just such a huge increase on your expenses and, you know, in this case, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, you know, almost near half a million dollars a year in property taxes. So I was like, that is, that's gotta be something I gotta at least ask about. Like, let me go lay my cards on the table, talk to them as a, a person, not trying to like, you know, keep anything back, just be honest about where we're at. And I literally still, I, mean, there was, I don't know how, there's half a dozen people in the room, uh, city council president, um, is that you know the uh, deputy chief of staff for the city uh, the acting mayor uh, and, and just the, a couple handful of people who would be decision makers in this particular instance i just laid it all out and i was like guys i don't think we can get this done without a tax credit i don't want a specific tax cre- let's not build something specifically for my project let's do it for everybody in downtown uh, in this area and let's try to get this done and I, I chased it down day after day until we got it done um but that kind of what was the initial the reaction table.
0: like in that room put put us in the room
1: so Thank what, you. what was their reaction Thank you for talking to us they were okay. thrilled that there was a solution being put in front of them i was so taken aback like i thought they were just gonna be like well good luck to you it was more like oh yeah. you actually had done some of the math like I, and i actually did some research on like other municipalities and what they were doing i pulled from new york city and philadelphia and all over the country where these like you know like columbus has a really good tax and you know, credit program, I pulled all of those different models together and we just played around with it and we just put together a model that we thought would work for new development. And they were thrilled that there was something that they could do to help the situation. And, and it wasn't, nobody internally was ever going to come up with that because they're not looking at it from our side. So we presented a solution. I think that was the key. And that has actually, so taking this to like other projects, like, they want a a hotel in downtown Salisbury as well. And they've been trying to get a hotel in downtown Salisbury for years. And I was like, well, let me just see if I can think outside of the box again. So I started looking for grant money and I saw that other cities in the state of Maryland actually applied for grant money for hotels in their downtown area. And then actually didn't claim the money once it was awarded to them. So I went back and ended up helping again, going back to the governors, you know, and back to the state, Uh, they actually ended up paying uh, for this hotel that we're going to do, like a six million dollar grant. So these are like the working with the local governments is powerful if, for moving things forward. They they want to see progress. You just need to show them like this is why it's not going to work, and here's the gap. And that's what they went and got. It was it was pretty amazing actually. Like the response we've gotten from here's the gap that you have. You can choose to do nothing with it. That's fine. We'll we'll go do something else, or we can work together. And every time they send, they, they've kind of been let's let's kind of, you know, put our arms around each other and let's, let's get it done. And um, I think the same can go with, you know, with sellers uh, who are maybe looking to get creative, like in this type of market, when you're, when there's going to be some sellers who have that need to get out of debt or they need to reposition their asset, you can go as a buyer and probably structure a very creative structure. Maybe they're not getting all their equity out up front, but let's just put the cards on the table. Let's not be so uh, sneaky about things. And maybe there's something that's bigger than, than just one person winning out of this whole deal.
0: That's crazy. Like, I just hear you talking. I'm like, man, that has just not been my experience. <laughs> it's been constant fighting with with cities and planners and inspectors. And it's just, and most people I talk to, they say the exact opposite of what you're saying. Like they freaking hate the government. Right. I mean, it's, the government blocks projects they don't want to see developers profit they they think we're taking advantage of everybody we got the deep pockets i i had a a city attorney tell me well why don't you just write a check yeah. do you not understand how this works like seriously
1: so your experience so has been
0: so different help me understand like what are you doing different than everybody else
1: i think what we're doing is we're not like we're not going to the government in cities where there's already explosive growth like if you were to go to austin and say I'll tell you what. I'm gonna do a new real estate development in Austin. They're gonna be like, "Yeah, you and everybody else. We're not giving you sense. anything." Yeah. You got to go to the cities who are trying to step it up, uh, that maybe are looking for new investments, and you got to come with out of the box thinking. Um, it, you know, I'm trying to think of like a big city that might probably be receptive, like probably Detroit. Like maybe you don't want to go have something in Detroit, but maybe there are some blocks or little, you know, little pockets of of investments that you would, especially if you could get some favorable tax treatment or grants or something to help incentivize it. Or I know the city of Baltimore has certain pockets where they're really trying to incentivize or Washington DC has the same type of type of you know areas where they're really trying to uh, see additional growth. So I guess what I'm saying is you probably need to look for the areas that uh, are maybe a little bit more tertiary in nature, um, maybe not your top, top tier cities. And frankly, I don't think you're going to get anything in those top tier cities unless you are the top tier developer in those top tier cities, because you probably will have already helped local politicians and and spent a lot of time uh, and doing probably billions of dollars worth of investment. So if you're, if we're all talking like more of a normal real estate investor, you're probably going to want to go to those smaller cities. Maybe it's the the outskirts of of a college like. Maybe you're thinking like a big city like Denver. Well, I bet you there's some smaller cities around it that maybe would be, uh, you know, more receptive to to certain types of investments. And they they might not want to do what you're looking for. Like maybe they have a need for warehousing, and and you're in the storage space business, or you're in multifamily. Well, that's not going to work. But there is somebody out there who is trying to solve a problem at a local municipality level, and if you come to them with that solution. I think that's the only difference is we're probably just going to people who are, uh, you know, who have a receptive audience. And frankly, that that is probably one of the best things about Salisbury, Maryland, and and you know, like, and I guess their local, uh, and that that's where we are located currently. But Salisbury, Maryland, is such a uh, development friendly uh, city; they want to see it move forward, and that that's nice, obviously, uh, compared to some of the other bureaucracies that are out there.
0: Yeah. And you had mentioned to me at one point um, how you build relationships with the council members or maybe the mayor. And I didn't even really honestly think that was possible. Um, Can you walk through like some of your strategy to, I'm not saying you're trying to influence or anything, but you definitely want a relationship. So walk me through that.
1: That's well said. You don't, don't ever try to influence, especially like like early on, when you're first meeting somebody, if you're if you have an angle, like in that, like let's say if you're already kind of desperate and you really need something out of them, you you might as well just lay your chips out on the table so they they know what angle you're coming from. But early on, it's probably just best to go in and do a typical deal and do it the right way. Um, let let let's take a a typical property. Let's say you have an inspection where uh, they're coming out and doing code enforcement. It, it'd probably be really good to go meet the person yourself or have somebody on your staff who's really well trained at like getting to know those folks. They're just doing a job like everybody else. They want to see that it's going to get turned around and that that their, uh, you know, advice is going to be, is going to be taken into consideration. So if, I guess the best way to build those relationships is to just do the right thing over and over and over again. And, and just realize that those folks within the city uh, are trying to, Typically, do the best that they can. Especially the folks who are maybe not at the the political level, they're just like normal working folks that want to, you know, maybe not have that adversarial uh, adversarial relationship. So getting to know they're their getting names,
0: beat up constantly, right? I mean, they're getting hammered all all day,
1: all, all the time, all the time. And my experience with other developers is that a ton of developers or, or real estate folks love to come in with these huge lofty plans and then never come through with them. And if you go in and you're like, I'm going to do it on this deadline. I'm going to turn it on this date and it's going to be correct. And if they say you have a problem, you fix it. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is different. Or if you're going to get an inspection of your house, invite the inspector to come like, walk it ahead of time be like, do you see anything that we did wrong? Like what, instead of like waiting until the end, like that'll completely shift their focus from, let me get this guy to, yeah, let me just try to help him out. Like, yeah, inviting OSHA onto your job. If you're, you're doing a larger scale job. Invite them onto your job. Be like, where where did we get it wrong? Fix it, and then it, it doesn't even become a problem because they're they know that you you want to work with them, and that you, know, you basically you're saying, I want to be in compliance with what you need, and we'll we'll make it happen.
0: Okay, yeah, and you mentioned I mean, you like actually try to meet them in person, like lunch, coffee, something like that. Like uh,
1: typically, well, you can do it that way, but uh, you know, like meeting pe- like a lot of times these are working. Individuals, or you know, um, they're, I guess, the best way to meet like a city council president or a mayor or something like that is to just show up to the city council meetings and just maybe say, Hi, I just moved to the area or doing an investment in this area. It was really compelling what you said tonight. Just leave and then do it over and over and over on a lot of different areas, and then they'll, they'll start recognizing you. And then when you maybe need something, or you maybe need to go present this tax credit program, it's not, yeah. Oh, hi, my name is Nick. Um, you know, I'm a real estate guy. I'm going to try to do the right thing. They they already knew that I was committed to getting things done. They, they had already had a working relationship with me for, for years. And, and like never once have I like paid anyone off or anything. Like You're not doing any of that, like JD right. stuff. You just kind of do it the honest way, the, the do it the right way. And they, they will respond to that.
0: Did you go home, Nick, after that meeting and be like, like high five in your family and cheers in or what like how did that feel when you left that meeting um uh,
1: it felt i mean being still in the middle of covid not sure if we were still going to close on it it felt like we at least had a pathway forward we were still moving the ball forward it wasn't like uh, it probably wasn't like winning game seven but you know like getting it to closing and uh you know eventually when when this thing sells one day i'm sure i'll feel I'll feel all that relief <laughs> that all that hard work paid off. But, um, you know, I think, I think we, you, you gotta, you gotta celebrate the wins along the way, though. I don't want to sure. make it sound like I wasn't happy, but it was, it was definitely a good day.
0: So your investors probably love you. Um, tell me, I, I want to get last, before we close out here, last pieces of advice from you. Let me see what I had on my notes from last time that I really liked. Um, you said something I wrote down here, Nick, deliver value, you always come out on the upside. So you always come out high if you deliver value first. You said that several times in this episode. Um, and then everything else, you you gave the same advice again today. So outside of that, what's a piece of advice you could share?
1: Especially early on reading uh, or the audio books are a great way to get ahead. Um, you know, it's not just rich dad, poor dad, it's so many other real estate books, um, even, even if you're looking for more of like a, like a high level story, like reading Sam Zell's book and I being too subtle is a great book on just business and, and just really learning those lessons along the way, uh, and letting other people learn them. I think that's something we can all do and we can get better at. And if you're already not doing it, you know, maybe instead of listening to music while you're at the gym or something. There on one of those books or while you're driving and, and you can really get a lot of knowledge, especially early on when you're trying to learn, learn, um, learn and get into the industry and then structuring partnerships. I, we had talked about partnerships and like how to bring investors in, but learning how to structure partnerships with, Within the general partnership and who's responsible for capital raising, who's responsible for asset management, who's responsible for signing on the loan, who's responsible for, uh, you know, leasing and and marketing and all of those little nuanced pieces of a deal. It's really good to kind of go up front and say, you're responsible for this, you're responsible for that, assign a percentage of the GP to it. So typically capital raisers, 25 to 30%, something In that nature, Uh, somebody who's finding the deal is going to get 10, 15% underwriting. You know, all these things get a percentage of of the general partnership. Learning how to get that done correctly up front will save you the headache of doing partnerships where you're like, I will all just take care of it. And I've done that. And you just think you all on the same page kind of going into it. And that's where you're doing the high fives. Yeah, we got it closed. And then it's like, wait a second why am I still here working so late and the other people aren't? And that's got to be sorted out early on uh, and everybody should be getting paid appropriately. If you don't pay people appropriately, you will just go ahead and set your timer on when that partnership will erode because it eventually will, you know, it eventually will unwind because people are not getting what they're supposed to on, on a compensation basis.
0: So, as promised, even better than the first time, tons of nuggets in here. I love how you said you got to set goals based on the number of calls you make, not necessarily results. I preach that all the time. You can't control necessarily results, but you can control your action. Stay focused, a plan cost review for your new construction projects. I've never even heard of that. I, I just get a lot of bids. (laughs) So I I guess that's how I've done it, but I didn't know you could do a plan cost review. Uh, We talked about working for someone else first, delivering value, Audio books or you know awesome podcasts would be good, um, and then the responsibilities for the partners in a partnership—all fantastic advice. So, how do people work with you, and then share with us how we get a hold of you?
1: Sure. So, obviously, our website uh, mentiscapitalpartners.com is a great way to to reach out. You can um, fill out a form. I think I think my email is on our website as well. Uh, but it's nick at MentisCP.com. i'd be happy to connect with anybody and um you know whether whether you're just looking for advice or you want to work together you know always enjoy connecting with new people in in the industry it is not as big as most people think you know there's a lot of people doing real estate but the more people you know uh, and the more we connect more people you know i it, you just never know at what point you're going to circle back and maybe be doing a deal or sitting on the other side of the table from that person so uh definitely enjoy networking and, and hope that you do reach out.
0: Well, I'm excited for your career, man. I, I really look up to you. And I know now, now that I know you're doing a hotel, you didn't tell me that before. Um, I want to stay, stay in touch. And when you have that going, if, if you do end up doing that project, let's get you back on, man. I want to hear how, how you structure it, how you go through it, how you work with the city, because you're an expert at that. So if you're open to it, let me know when you, when you get that going and we'll have you back on Um, any final words.
1: I look forward to sharing all the battle scars with that in the future. <laughs> oh, oh, but thanks for having me again and, and dealing with our bad audio the first time. And best of luck to anybody who's getting started and anybody who's just surviving until 25. We're, we're all going to get through it. Interest rates will go down. And, and again, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time.
0: Thanks, Nick. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah. And tell a friend.